So with any luck, I got 30 years. But, you know, one of the keys to success, you know, there's a lot of people out there telling you how to succeed. And one of the things they'll tell you is, you know, be present, right? Do 100%, be in the moment, whatever you're doing, you got to put 100% in. But what you realize, if you're putting 100% into one thing, you're putting 0% into something else. So I don't believe in multitasking. I think multitasking is a fiction. Your brain can really only do one thing at a time. You can walk and chew gum at the same time, that, if you consider that multitasking. But you can't write a letter and watch the news, you know, and change the baby's diaper all at the same time. That does not work. So multitasking is a fiction. So you have to decide what you're going to do. And so I have to decide, well, am I going to work on this or am I going to work on that? Hello and hola, friends. Welcome to the Medicine, Marriage, and Money podcast, the only podcast for dual physician couples who want to achieve marital interdependence and financial freedom together. In this podcast, you will learn how to show up as the best version of yourself so that you can love intentionally and build a stronger and more financially savvy relationship with your spouse. And I am your host, a physician mom, a doctor's wife, and a life coach, Dr. Kate Mangona. Welcome, bienvenidos. Please help me welcome our guest on today's show of Medicine, Marriage, and Money, Dr. Andrew Wilner. Dr. Andrew Wilner is a double board certified internal medicine doctor and neurologist. He is a health journalist and avid scuba diver, and his latest book is called The Locum Life, A Physician's Guide to Locum Tenens. He also hosts the bi-weekly podcast, The Art of Medicine with Dr. Andrew Wilner. And it wouldn't be medicine, marriage, and money if I did not introduce also that he is the loving husband of six years to Irene from the Philippines and the father to a three-year-old little boy. So thank you so much for coming on my show today. Welcome, Dr. Andrew Wilner. Thanks, Kate. It's a pleasure. Well, let's just start out today. I think you were a little bit surprised we were going to be talking about, you know, you and your wife here to get warmed up and everything. So just tell me about the audience of, um, you know, how you guys met, how you fell in love. What did that look like? It's not my usual topic, but let's just say I got married very late in life. And, you know, I was just, I'd say my whole life, I've just kind of done those things that I've wanted to do, uh, figuring everything would work out. And, uh, you know, I follow your passion, uh, the money will follow that kind of thing. So, and some things work out and some things different, you know, don't. And my relationships, you know, I'd have girlfriends here and there. And, but then at one day I'd have to ask the question, is this what I want to do? Is this the person I want to be with for the rest of my life? And usually the answer was no. And then, and then once I came up with that, it's like, well, I don't know, let's go you know, we'll be friends. Let's do something else. You know, or sometimes it was the other way around. And I'm not that probably easy a person to be with. And I have kind of my own missions in life. And as I got older, I think I became less eligible, you know, and uh, particularly in the, in the U.S., you know, where most most couples pair off within a few years. You know, it's, that's the common thing. If you're 30, maybe your husband's 33. But if he was 43 or 53 or 63, you know, your girlfriend's probably raised an eyebrow. So uh, that, that became difficult uh, for me. 
but it was never my number one priority. And it's kind of an abstract concept, you know, when you're single, what married life or family life would be. So I figure, well, that'll just, you know, that's one of those things you can't really make uh, happen. So I just decided I was open to it. And uh, as uh, my career kind of matured and I had some more time, I started working locum tenens actually very early in my career. And that gave me the flexibility to uh, travel, which was great. And I guess about 15 years ago, I discovered uh, Southeast Asia. I had traveled a lot in Europe. And actually about 25 years ago, I took my first trip to Southeast Asia for scuba diving. There's a remote island that has all kinds of cool stuff you could see underwater, you know, big sharks and you know, stuff, stuff you don't find at the beach. So uh, I flew out there and I just thought Asia was really cool. But I was in private practice in that time and there was really no, no way to get back. And when, then when I started doing locums more or less full time, I would work for three or four months and then take two to three months off. And it was like a whole other universe. You know, when you're in practice, you know, it's really a routine and uh, one might use the word a grind. You know, you got to show up every day. You got everything is pre-programmed for you. And that was kind of my normal life probably till I was 50, right? Between college and medical school. I did two residencies. I did a fellowship. Then I wanted, tried to become a partner in a private practice. I became a partner and I tested out academics. And uh, so everything is pre-programmed. What you have to do every day more than fills the day. So there's really no discretionary time. And I had a lot, always had a lot of other interests, writing being the, the foremost one. And it was always in the back of my mind, gee, I should be writing. But, you know, you can't walk away from the patient at five o'clock who's in cardiac arrest because you want to go write a poem, right? I mean, you have to have your uh, priorities. And writing would always take the back seat. And as I got older, you know, you realize that, gee, at some point uh, you're running out of time. You know, people you know start kind of dropping off the Rolodex. And uh, it's like, gee, that's not supposed to happen. How inconsiderate of that guy. I was planning to spend more time with him. And now, uh, you know, something bad happened. So you kind of have to reassess. And uh, one concept I wanted to talk to you about was intentionality. So, well, I better start sort of consciously deciding what I want to do as the, you know, plan my calendar for the next 20 or 30 years. So I started working locums, gave me more time to write. I had liked Southeast Asia, so I, and I'm a nature lover. I like, particularly underwater. In fact, one, one of my activities uh, that I didn't tell you about is I have a channel. I have a YouTube channel. I started about 10 years ago. It's called Underwater with Dr. Andrew. Uh, way back when I started making films, one minute, two minute, three minute nature films, kind of like the Wild Kingdom, but on a much smaller scale that I narrate and I research. So those are up there and those are a lot of fun. So I went and I started doing some filmmaking. I won a couple of international prizes for my underwater films. I became a paddy uh, dive, uh, dive master, what they call a dive master. And I started dating. And uh, it's like, well, you know, I'll just look around. Maybe something will happen. And uh, eventually I, I and and I always wanted to have children. I always wanted to have children. And so, you know, as I got older, uh, you know, finding a, a mate who's sort of appropriate and who wants to have children with me, that became difficult. 
And uh, in, in Asia, it turns out that there's much less uh, ageism when it turns to uh, couples. It's very common for there to be a wide uh, difference in, in age. And uh, so it turned out, you know, while I was underwater, that that, that was, uh, worked in my favor. And in fact, uh, I got engaged underwater to my wife. And, uh, you know, we were scuba diving and I proposed uh, underwater and that was a lot of fun. And actually, uh, nature did, didn't conspired a little bit against me. I had some photographers set up. I hadn't told anybody. And the idea was that uh, we were going to do uh, when you scuba dive, you have to learn certain skills uh, and one of, and you have to practice those skills. One of those skills, for example, is uh, buddy breathing right? You have a tank with a regulator and your buddy has a tank with a regulator and sometimes one of them will fail and uh, it's inconvenient and it can be life-threatening. So you learn to share. So okay. I'll take a breath. You take a breath. I'll take a breath. And it sounds very simple, but you know, you have to be very calm about the whole thing because if you, if you muck it up, somebody's not going to take their breath. And it turns out that that's uh very upsetting when that happens and can lead to bad things. So I told my film crew, I had the dive guide and another guy with cameras and my wife, that my future wife, that we were going to go down and we were going to do practice some skills and I wanted them to capture it on, on camera. Oh. So I had the whole thing set up and uh, we parked the boat, dropped the anchor, went down. There was a huge current and uh the current was such that by the time i got down the two guys were gone my camera guys were gone and uh I, where did it, they go well they went that way you know with the current <laughs> <laughs> they would come back but uh, they couldn't they couldn't stay in place to, okay. to do what they needed to do and then i had brought a uh, there's something called a pelican box if you're a diver, any diver knows what a pelican, it's a dry box with an O-ring. So I had gotten this miniature pelican box with the ring. So we went down, but it turned out that the pressure of being underwater prevented me from opening the box. You know how you get down on one knee and you open the box and well, the box wouldn't open. And oh, no. uh, so, you know, I hadn't done this before. So, uh, you know, when you do something for the first time, there are unanticipated you didn't do a dry run of opening up the pelican box. <laughs> right, we did not do that. So there was one other helper. So he took the box to the top, opened it with his knife knife, came back down and gave it to me. And and I had put in, uh, my wife loves uh, hearts. So I had bought, you know, a $5 heart ring uh, to bring underwater because the, uh, the Harry Winston ring wasn't going to go underwater. That one... Uh, I save for uh, later because, you know, you drop it on the sand, it's gone. So uh, finally we got the ring out and underwater, you know, it's, you can't talk, right? You know, you just blah, 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 bubbles. So uh, use an underwater slate, right? You have a little erasable slate. So I, I asked her if she would marry me and she wrote yes. And it was pretty cool. Oh my gosh, you're going to have to share pictures of that with me. Did, did the camera crew ever get back so they could take pictures or? No photos. I oh. have a photo of the slate. <laughs> that says yes. And we have that in our living room. It's a, it's a great reminder of, uh, I was pretty nervous uh, about the whole thing. I really didn't know, you know, this was going to fly. So uh, she said yes. And then we had a big party. We, we were diving at a very small island. There's about 100 people that live there. And um, I had been there before and I took her sort of on an extended date with me and she learned how to dive. And so we knew everybody. So they kind of threw a party for us 
you know, and we had a guy with a guitar with like three strings on his guitar. You know, it was really kind of a rural area, uh, but uh, authentic, I would say. It was really, uh, it was quite an event. And we go back there. We went back there with my son when he was one. <laughs> we took him, in retrospect, I think I was crazy, but we took him on a boat to this remote island, you know, where it's sort of almost like family members. And uh, we kind of celebrated his first birthday uh, in the Philippines and also on our on our engagement island. So it's uh, a lot of fun. And this is this where she's from? Did she grew up there? Yeah, she grew up there. She's from the Philippines. She had never been to the United States. So after we got engaged, um, we planned uh, for her to. Well, I was still working, you know, to support myself. So I was not going to relocate to the Philippines. Turns out. Uh, you can only work in the Philippines as a physician if you are a citizen of the Philippines. It's even harder than coming this way, you know, from a foreign country. You have to be a citizen. You know, there's not even a work visa for foreign uh, physicians. So there was no way I could really relocate there. So she was willing to come here. So that was a big project, a lot of paperwork. There's something called a fiance visa. And uh, so, yeah, that that's a whole other bunch. We were at the airport and then there was some stamp she needed and we didn't have it and they wouldn't let us, they wouldn't let her get on the plane. So we were held up in Manila for three days trying to get this stamp <laughs> that she needed to emigrate. You know, we had done all this background stuff, but there was yet one more thing. So finally we came and then the U.S. government, they're kind of strict about the fiance visa thing because I guess it's been abused, you know. Oh, oh yeah, sure, you you know. You can be my fiance and become a citizen. That's fine. You know, so you have 90 days to get married uh, once you uh, hit the dirt. So it's like, I don't know if you've ever planned a wedding. Those of you who are maybe uh, sort of thinking about that or have done that recently, very tough to plan a wedding in 90 days, uh, particularly if you're a 59 year old uh, male that isn't all that fascinated by flowers and catering and uh, stuff like that. And of course, my wife didn't know any of the resources, you know, locally because she she was in the U.S. for the first time. She spoke English, but you know, we had some friends because the other thing I did in the Philippines I didn't mention was medical mission work. So um, I had done medical mission work there for a number of years, and she had come uh, on a, a couple of the missions, and so she knew my medical mission group uh, who lived near me uh, in Rhode Island at the time, and so they kind of they welcomed her. They were really wonderful. They drove her around because she didn't have a driver's license and we planned the wedding. So it was a pretty intense uh, 90 days because I was still working. You know, so I, when you work as a physician, you don't have a lot of time to be calling the caterer. So uh, that was uh, was actually a fairly difficult 90 days. But the wedding was beautiful. I'll show you pictures if you have six hours. And, um, you know, it was great. It was great. So, okay, so your friends, your friends from your the me medical mission kind of helped her plan the wedding. Or, yeah, they were wonderful. They showed her around town, where to shop, you know, where to buy food. They chauffeured her everywhere. And of course, most of they were, most of them are Filipinos who had emigrated to the U.S. at some point. And so have still have ties in the Philippines. And the Filipinos are amazingly close and welcoming, you know, culturally, they, they just uh, think that interpersonal relations are the most important thing in the world. Uh, I, I can say that growing up, I never felt that way. <laughs> I felt my career was the most important thing in the world. And interpersonal relationships were secondary. But Filipinos, uh, for the most part, at least the ones that I know, certainly put relationships very, very important. Family relationships, friends, 
you know, I'll drive you to the airport, even though it's three hours away. It's like, no problem. You know, try and get one of your friends, you know, at the hospital, drive you to the airport three hours away. But uh, Filipinos will, will do that. So, uh, yeah, it all worked out. Do you say that that's shifted for you at all? Like, is your, um, or how does that dynamic, the difference between that upbringing and that mentality, how does that affect your marriage? Yeah, I think it, I think it does. Uh, for example, I'm on this podcast right now, and this is actually a day off. And my wife might prefer that I was downstairs, you know, helping with, uh, it's like a million household things to do and play with the baby. And, you know, it's like, well, what are you doing on the podcast? Who cares? Right. It's like, oh, well, those are my fans. Right. And I'm helping Kate out, you know, and maybe I'll sell two copies of my book. It'll be fun. And it's yeah. Like, yeah. Know, so, you know, being driven, you know, I think uh, just creates a natural conflict. I just, and, and I'll, the perspective of that is I just finished 14 days of being on call at the hospital. So I normally work seven on, seven off, but I actually worked 14 on, and I will now have, and today is my first day of my 14 uh, off. So, you know, not a whole lot else gets done when I'm, you know, I just have to get up and go to the hospital. They called me, you know, two in the morning, they call it six in the morning, there's charts to sign. There's, you know, life-threatening, you know, neurologists only get called usually at the hospital when things are pretty bad. You know, it's not like I have a pimple. It's like, oh, he's in a coma or they're in status. So you have to be, you have to pay attention. You know, it's, it's a full-time commitment. And I, I prioritize, you know, succeeding at my work and making sure my patients get the benefit of uh, my best. And, uh, so uh, a podcast, it's, it's at a different level, although I do try to be professional with, with my podcast, The Art of Medicine. You know, I produce it, I edit it, and I, I try and make every episode, you know, perfect. That's, that's a character flaw, right? <laughs> I know we, we talked about that before where you said, well, you know, good enough sometimes is better than perfect. And, and, and that may be something uh, to consider. But I certainly, you know, relationships you know, being uh, married is a lot different than being uh, single, right? Because if you're single and your relationship isn't working out, it's like, well, that's okay. You know, we can just terminate it, you know, or I'll just go find another one. It's fine. Go do what you want to do, right? It's not a problem. And, uh, but if you're married, it's more of a long-term commitment. At least that's the concept. So uh, I don't know, I'm six years into it. We're still married. I think we're pretty happy. So you know, I'm working on it, but it does require, it's a different kind. There are other people involved in your decision-making, right? So it's influenced a lot of my decisions, where I live, what kind of house I live in, you know, what I do when I come home from work, that's all colored by, you know, well, my wife is there and my, you know, baby is there. He's three now. We still call him the baby, you know, but uh, he, he's like five feet tall, you know, at three years old, but uh, he's still the baby. And, uh, you know, but it's different. And I certainly I'm glad I did it, but it's different. Definitely. You know, people ask, what's it like being married, you know, after being single for so long? I say, well, it's different. <laughs> you know, it's different. You've mentioned that you become more, you know, intentional with how you do things. Can you, can you elaborate on that a little bit more about like, um, you know, how you're talking about strategies coming with time? Like, how has that changed since like 20 years ago? Yeah, well, there's a, I think you become more conscious, as I mentioned earlier, of the limitations of time, 
I mean, everybody knows there's 24 hours a day, but when you're 30, seem like there's a lot of days. You know, when I'm over 60, and you know, I do have friends that have passed away, and I, my family genes are pretty good. And my father passed away at 90 and worked uh, till a few months before he died. And my mother's 92 and still she's a professional artist and still doing her artwork. So with any luck, I got 30 years, but. You know, one of the keys to success, you know, there's a lot of people out there telling you how to succeed. And one of the things they'll tell you is, you know, be present, right? Do 100%, be in the moment, whatever you're doing, you got to put 100% in. But what you realize, if you're putting 100% into one thing, you're putting 0% into something else. So I don't believe in multitasking. I think multitasking is a fiction. Your brain can really only do one thing at a time. You can walk and chew gum at the same time, That, if you consider that multitasking. But you can't write a letter and watch the news, you know, and change the baby's diaper all at the same time. That does not work. So multitasking is a fiction. So you have to decide what you're going to do. And so I have to decide, well, am I going to work on this or am I going to work on that? You know, and then the day's going to be over. I'm going to be tired, you know, and then it's dinner time. And I have to spend some time and, you know, we're going to play with the baby. We're going to play ball with the baby. You know, I got stuff to do. And, uh, of course, I, we just bought a new house. So there's a million new things to do in the house. And those are fun things to do. But if, you know, I put a new lock on the door so the baby won't let himself out because he's got quite independent spirit. But, you know, that took an hour. And that's an hour I could have been reading about neuromyelitis optica because I have a patient in the hospital with that. And there's a lot, there's three new drugs for that. And I want to know about them. So, wow. you know, there's, I think there's always a tension when you're, you're married. If you're, a, well, I think most physicians are high achievers. You know, I do have some friends and they don't seem to have this problem. It's like, oh, it's the weekend. It's like, what are you going to do? Oh, I don't know. Just hang out. It's like, what planet are you from? You know, I mean, I have so many things to do that, uh, you know, that the weekend is not long enough to get to, you know, halfway down my to-do list. And yet I have other friends who have, you know, whatever, nothing to do. So some of that, you're just born that way, I guess. No, I totally get that. Like, and also like as a high achieving physician and creator, because we're both podcasters and writers here, like if we're not creating, I mean, I don't, okay. I don't know. I'll speak for myself. If I'm not creating... I'm not happy, you know? And like, people are like, why are you doing this to yourself? I'm like, well, you want me to sit at home depressed and like crying? I have got to create, right? Yes, no, I, I, I would agree. I get quite miserable if I realize that I have not blocked off time. And I remember, I mean, this started very early when I was in high school, I started interviewing people, you know, for the school paper, which, which is something I do now for, for Medscape and other sites. and. I guess I've always found that very interesting. And I remember I interviewed a local author who was pretty successful. He'd written a few novels. I was in Providence, Rhode Island, and he was well-known. And, you know, his kid wanted to interview him. He said, okay. And he was sort of well-known for kind of being grouchy and unpleasant. And I said, well, do you really, you must really love writing. And he goes, no, I hate it. It makes me miserable. And I said, oh, I see. You know, and I was pretty naive. I said, so why do you do it? He goes, well, because if I don't, I'm even more miserable. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there's a lot of truth to that. Uh, I feel the same way. Writing is very, very hard. And it's something I procrastinate for. I mean, it's like eh, being on a podcast a whole lot easier than, you know, writing an essay. 
but uh, not doing it uh, makes you even more unhappy. So uh, I would say that maybe it's a common truth for, for writers because it is hard. Oh my gosh. And you know that what that leads us into, that kind of leads us into finances because I have got like a lot of people, well, a lot of people I surround myself really actually love to talk about money and love finances, but you know, that hasn't been the, my, my whole life. And people will say, oh, I don't want to go on a money day. I don't want to talk about finances. We don't want to talk about our spending plan or budget, or whatever, because it makes you miserable, right? Or it's just, it's hard. It's dreadful. Well, what's the alternative? you don't talk about it, you don't have like securities in place, you spend all your money or you don't invest your money and then what, you're even more miserable. Okay, so let's talk about your finances. Okay, we could talk about that. I think uh, my dad was a certified public accountant and, uh, and an attorney. And when I was young, my two brothers uh, worked in his office, you know, in the summer, a summer job. Uh, one brother is now, what, majored in mathematics, uh, at Brown and is now a urologist. And the other brother majored in physics and is now an astrophysicist. I was interested in biology and I didn't like numbers and finance to me seemed this artificial concept. You know, I mean, money was something man-made. I was interested in biology, you know, physiology, you know, how organisms, ecology, I never wanted to work in my father's office and I would do anything. In fact, I, I left home at 16 and went and got a job uh, in the neighboring town. So I wouldn't have in an oceanographic institute, Woods Hole, so I wouldn't have to work in my father's office. That, that, that was something I, I didn't want to do. So money, I never had any interest in. It. And I truly believe, well, you become a physician, you'll have enough money. But one of the things my father told me as a CPA, and he had like a, an old fashioned general practice where he had you know, clients who owned a little shop, you know, maybe they made, I don't know, $40,000 a year. And he had clients who owned factories, you know, and made $4 million a year, sort of all across the board. He said, you know, he said, nobody makes enough money. He said, I don't have one client who makes enough money. He says, the guy who's making $40,000 a year, he wants to buy a boat. So he's looking at these rowboats, you know, that cost $500 and he really want and and that's all he can afford is 500 but he wants the one that costs a thousand because it has a motor he said i the client who makes four million he wants to buy a yacht and he can afford a 40-foot yacht but he really wants the 60-foot yacht that he can't quite afford so i don't know it's like gravity it's like a law of nature you know it's like no matter how much money you make it will never be enough so that's something I've also tried to be in, intentional about, you know, and I've always lived as a single person. I always lived uh, well uh, below my means because I never really wanted to worry about money. So I knew if there was something I wanted to do and I live pretty uh, Spartan like that if I wanted to go on a trip and it cost a few thousand dollars that the money would would be there. And that's kind of the way I live. And I've always tried to live you know, 20% below my means rather than the natural thing, which is 20%, you know, above your means, and then you borrow money and then you're kind of stuck. That was the main thing. I never wanted to be in a position in a job that I couldn't walk away from because I needed the money. And uh, that was critical to me. And, uh, and that worked. I was never in that situation where, oh, I got to stay in this job because, and I'll just throw in another plug for locum tenants. You know, every now and then I have a bad day and I say, you know, do I have to keep doing this? It's like, no, I don't have to keep doing this. There's locum tenants there. There's great options. I can make just as much money. And so I have the freedom to leave. And I think that freedom to leave um, 
is a wonderful thing because then you could choose not to leave. You know, it's like, uh, I don't know, you know, in relationships where, you know, somebody wants to keep their spouse in a cage, right? Well, you open the door to the cage and then they decide to stay. It's even better, right? Uh, I don't know. There, there's some story about that. I can't remember where that came from. But uh, the freedom to leave is great. And uh, if you don't overspend, you have that freedom to leave. So we have a budget, you know, and uh, like, you know, I get paid every two weeks and one paycheck goes to the mortgage and all the things. And about half of the other one also goes to stuff that's pretty much, you know, that you can't walk away from. And then there's, an, you know, another quarter that's uh, discretionary. And, and of course, I try, I don't know how much longer, you know, I'm, I'm in my mid 60s. And I hope that I'm going to be able to continue to work for a long, long time. And the stock market has been helpful in terms of saving for retirement. But, you know, that's all unpredictable. So I don't know if I have another year left of, you know, income or, you know, a day or 20 years. So, you know, you, you kind of want to have a buffer, I guess, so that you're not always on the line. And uh, my wife, uh, she pretty much, I think, well, she goes along with it, I would say, you know, I think she's more for living in the present, you know, and I, I'm one of these people that's sort of always concerned about the future. And she's like, well, you know, the money's there. Why, what, what are you saving it for? <laughs> you know, you're 65 years old. When are you, when are you going to buy a sports car? It's like, well, you know, I mean, I just grew up that way. You know, I didn't grow up. We didn't have any money. Of course, my wife's family didn't either. Uh, so I, I grew up where a penny was really important and, uh, you didn't spend money on, on frivolous things. And I think that's hard to grow, grow out of. Uh, I will confess though, that, that I do have a sports car now. Uh, <laughs> what, kind, what kind do you have? It's a 1972 British MGB and it's a fantastic car. Oh. It was very economical. It's not expensive. Uh -huh. And, uh, but it's a beautiful car. Anybody that passes my way will take you for a ride. It is, it is a <laughs> thrill. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful car. I mean, and you also spend money on trips, right? Like you had a, you have a camera crew, you do your videos, you're scuba diving. So it sounds like you that's a priority. That's a priority. Right? Okay. That's right. Yeah. You got to prioritize. And for us, travel, travel is definitely eating out of fine restaurants, uh, twice a year, not a priority for us. Um, I've always felt that that's nuts. You know, you go, so it's nice. It's the last three hours and you're $500 in the hole. And it's like, I can't remember what I ate. So uh, that's not a priority. And my wife feels this. Plus she happens to be an excellent cook. So I don't even like eating out anymore. It's always better uh, at home. So that's one thing we took off, you know, the table. Yeah, I mean, you can't, you can't. I heard this great expression about physicians is that uh, you can do, you know, any hobby, you can have, let's see, you can do anything you want. In, in terms of scuba diving or flying a private plane or, you know, skiing, helicopter skiing, you can do anything you want, but you can't do everything you want that, uh, you know, you're just not going to be able to sustain, you know, the people that have, you know, $20 million in the bank, you know, from their uh, startup or they inherited it, you know, they, they can do everything they want. You know, all they, their only problem is running out of time, but you're going to run out of money because you still have to work. And you just can't do all those things. I used to ski. I gave it up so that I could focus all my energies on scuba diving. So that that's my thing. So, and I do that. And of course, photography. Um, so I think you, you do have to make choices just like a spouse, right? You can't, you can't marry them all, right? It takes up too much time. 
Well, I think that's a very good lesson, if anything, that you learned from your dad, even though you didn't go work with him like your two brothers. I mean, no one makes enough money. That's like, that's enough. I mean, yeah, when will it ever be enough? Never. And so that's why, like, you, and you, you mentioned earlier that you truly believe that all physicians, you become a physician, you'll be financially okay. Yet some physicians are still living paycheck to paycheck. Not you, not you, but if we're going to all go buy yachts that are more expensive than um, then we can afford, then we get paid. It's just so easy. And I think, you know, your standards just keep going up and up and you see your neighbors, you know, whether keeping up with the Joneses, I remember that was, it's from like 50 years ago, you know, uh, your neighbors, they put in a pool. So you put in a pool, you know, they get a Cadillac, you want to get a Cadillac. I mean, and then it was a comparison is the thief of joy, right? I, I don't know where that comes from. Some, you know, saying, but, but it's true. It's true. And everybody wants to sell you something. You know, there's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure that you don't even realize on TV and internet and, you know, influencers, you know, there are these influencers. Oh, let me show you my closet. Have you ever seen these things? We're going to walk yes. through, walk yes. through my closet, you know, and there's like Gucci handbags. And, and so it's like, well, gee, how come those things aren't in my closet? I don't know. Turn that off. Turn that off. Maybe that's what brings them joy instead of scuba diving. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I really appreciate Oh, my gosh. You said so many amazing points. I can't wait to do all my take-home points from this. And is there anything that you want to just kind of drive home? Maybe you, you didn't mention or you want to bring up again or anything related to medicine, marriage money, your podcast before we say goodbye? Oh, well, before we're already there. So before we say goodbye, I wanted to thank you for being on my podcast, The Art of Medicine. And uh, as a special kind of uh, treat for your listeners, the first person who tells me which episode that you were on, on The Art of Medicine, uh, all you have to do is go to my website, andrewwilner.com, send me an email, Kate Mangone was on this episode, then I'll send you a link so you have a free download to my book, the Locum Life, A Physician's Guide to Locum Tenants. Uh, the Locum Life, I wrote uh, just a few years ago. It sold almost a thousand copies. It is the book on locums. It's got a lot, a lot of my fun stories in it and a lot of stories from other locums doctors who I interviewed and chapters about malpractice and credentialing and how to get a job and how to use an agency and pretty much everything that you'd want to know. So a free copy of that if you're interested in locums. And and I'm, I'm going to put in a, a one point that I want to use about, say, about locums, because I kind of stumbled into it. But locums is a way to for work-life balance. And it's also a way to get out, to, to not feel trapped, because you can work as a physician. You know, there are a lot of doctors out there who kind of, we talked earlier, kind of in a grind. Well, locums can get you out of that without abandoning your career. You know, there's, uh, I, I'm involved in some sites, you know, non-clinical careers for physicians. Well, that's fine. But a lot of physicians want a clinical career. They just don't want the clinical career that they have. And uh, locums is kind of uh, an in-between answer to that. And I think any physician who's feeling, you know, burnt out or unhappy, consider locums, you know, before you open up a restaurant and kind of go the, the non-clinical career route. So that, that would be my advice. Well, perfect. What is your podcast focus on? Just so that my, uh, we all know. Well, the, uh, the art of medicine started out about locum tenants. 
And now it's really about the art of medicine. I love to interview physicians who've written books, fiction books, nonfiction books, uh, financial advisors for physicians about investment, because you talked about how important it is, you know, to be financially sound. Uh, I, I interviewed a woman who's an artist who does uh, medical paintings, uh, anything, it's pretty much free freewheeling. The, the one I did on Sunday, I interviewed a physician who, was, he's a few years older than me, he was draft, he volunteered for the Navy, ended up being a Tom Cruise, you know, jet fighter pilot guy, lands on aircraft carriers, shot down three times, uh, be, was going to be a Jesuit priest. He's got a book, it's called The Extraordinary Life of an Ordinary Man. So I heard him on a podcast, I interviewed him. He's the sweetest, nicest guy, story is unbelievable. Um, so I try and find people who interest me, like who are really, really interesting. So it's a fun podcast. And all, all the episodes are archived on my website. I think andrewwilner.com slash video, and you can scroll through them or just go to YouTube or your wherever you listen to your podcast, The Art of Medicine with Dr. Andrew Wilner. It's, it's really fun. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming and sharing all that good stuff with us. And and now you can go spend time with your wife and your baby boy. Yes, she's waiting. (laughs) Thank you so much, Dr. Wilner. Oh my gosh, what a fabulous podcast with Dr. Andrew Wilner. Okay, so for my three, or actually four, my four take-home points from Dr. Andrew Wilner. Number one, don't wait for your friends to start dropping off the Rolodex to become intentional about living. What does that mean? What is even a, what is a Rolodex? Some of you guys might be too young to know. So a Rolodex, my parents used to have one. Maybe they still do. It's like this little rotating, like it's like a whole bunch of business cards with these two little holes in the bottom. You put on a wheel, kind of like a hamster wheel, and you've got like hundreds 500 or 1,000, I don't even know, of contacts all in one little area, and then you put their phone number and address and all that kind of stuff. That's a Rolodex. So once your friend, once you're taking your friends out of your Rolodex, that means you're removing them from your contacts because they're no longer alive. They're no longer living. So when your friends are dropping from the Rolodex, that's when you start to become a wow. Okay, do I really want to do this in my life? I might, I might not have that much longer. Do I really want to still be married to this person? Do I want to be single? Do I want to be doing this career for the next five years until I drop dead? You start asking yourself those kind of questions. Whereas I think most of you who are listening to this are probably on the younger end of that spectrum. And while you don't have to worry about taking contacts off of your Rolodex, you don't want to have your life kind of float by and then realize at the very end of it that you actually didn't create the decisions you were happy about or actually spend time with the people you wanted to spend time with in your life because you were too busy trying to get ahead at work or impress people that didn't even matter at the end of the day you know, people pleasing or being too perfect at everything. So not getting home in time to see your kids or not being able to spend weekends with them because you were always working on the latest research project or or whatever it is you do for a living. So don't wait until your friends start dropping off the Rolodex to become intentional. Number two, multitasking is fiction. Y'all heard it directly from the mouth of a double board certified internist and neurologist. And I would say as a neurologist, he kind of knows a lot of the inner workings of the brain. (laughs) So multitasking and a lot of people, especially women, especially as female physicians, we pride ourselves. Oh, we can be, we can be super mom, 
you know, the, the, the patient, all the, the people want to see in clinic. We can make all the cookies, clean the kitchen, do the laundry, do the dishes, help with the homework and, you know, make time with ourselves on the girls night out or the weekend massage or whatever, whatever is you're trying to do everything at once. Or maybe you're like watching the news and you're helping your kid with homework or you're helping like four different and you're at the soccer game. So what, which one do you actually want to do? And are you actually in it? Are you in that? Are you actually really there with your seven-year-old helping them with homework? Are you actually there at the soccer game? You know, enjoy, I mean, and you could be talking to other moms, other dads, yeah. Are you there or are you just on your computer doing work? And is that okay? You know, is that what you want? I'm not saying one or the other is wrong. I'm just saying, are you being intentional <laughs> from number one about how you're living your life? You know, and while you're multitasking, you may just not be putting forth the effort in each thing at once. And we talk about this thing in coaching, whereas, you know, letting go of perfectionism and being able to do like, that's how some people are able to do so many things because they're just not perfect at every one thing. But I will tell you from personal experience, if I want to be present with my kids, I cannot also be working on my podcast and writing a blog post because I won't be there or I'll become short-tempered. I'll become irritated. All those things that I don't want to see in myself as a mother. Same thing as a wife, you know, and even at work, like you can only read so fast if you're doing something else. And, you know, as a radiologist, they do expect us and well, not, they do, I guess myself, right? I guess I, I, I don't want to play the victim mentality here as the radiologist myself. I want to be able to read an x-ray also check, you know, check the ultrasound the tech may be bringing me an ultrasound to check. And then I also have to be answering phone calls from other techs. Say I'm on call on the weekend. I'm answering phone calls from CT and MRI techs having me check images. And then also somebody walks in the door from the GI team and asks me to review a MRE with them. And I'm still trying to get through all the inpatient and ER x-rays. So is that really multitasking and how well can I do that? Well, I have to stop one job to help somebody else. So at the end of the day, it takes me five times, 10 times, 100 times as long to read one x-ray. Because no, I cannot read an x-ray while I'm checking a CT scan, MRI scan, talking to the GI team, and checking an ultrasound or going back and scanning the patient. No. So yes, while I say I'm multitasking, I'm actually not completing anything until I get a little bit of silence again. Number three, no one ever makes enough money. Do you make enough money? <laughs> if you do, hey, that's great. But whether you make $40,000 a year or $40 million a year, guess what? There's somebody who makes billions of dollars a year. And you're always going to want the bigger yacht. You're always going to want the bigger house. You're always going to want to live in the country and in the city and in Paris and you know wherever you're in California. There's always something more you're going to want. There's never enough money. So what are you going to make that mean? Okay. Can you enjoy every single moment with what you do have currently? Knowing that your number in your bank account is but a number, what are you going to choose to make that mean? And number four, comparison is the thief of joy. So if we're always busy comparing ourselves to other people around us, the attendings we work with, our co-attendings, maybe even some of the, our senior attendings, or our neighbors, say we live in a really nice neighborhood, 
Everybody's sending their kids to the most amazing best schools. Well, we got to do that too. But then everybody else also is buying their summer houses and at the lake or at the beach. Well, we we, want to do that too. And like what Dr. Roland said, everybody put a pool in the backyard. Everybody got a Cadillac. Well, we want that too because we're constantly comparing ourselves, right? So we're chasing after somebody else's joy. What if, I'm not saying you don't want a beach house. I'm not saying you don't want a Cadillac. And I'm not saying you don't want to send your kids to private school. You may want all of those things. So why don't you just make that decision from, from what you want, right? And not what other people around you are doing. And you talk about these closet walkthroughs you see on YouTube. Of course, yes, I'm in those Facebook groups. I love those closets. <laughs> no judgment for me. I want one of those closets. I am currently creating a small little, well, you know, it's big. It's big or small, depending on what you have. But I want a nice closet. I love my closet. There's nothing wrong with it. But could I be miserable if I compared myself's closet to somebody else who had a much bigger one with a lot more expensive stuff? I could, but you know what? I'm just happy that I'm getting a space that I can walk in. I can shut the door. I can organize. Yes, organizing brings me joy. Without comparing myself to somebody else, whether that be a car, a purse, food, nice food, nice trips. Make sure you're doing things that bring you joy. Or you and your spouse, you and your family joy. And not just because you're comparing yourself to somebody else, making yourself feel bad. And that is it, my friends. Thank you so much for listening today. Remember to hang out with me on Facebook at Medicine, Marriage, and Money. Uh, the Facebook group, you are welcome to come join my Facebook group, Medicine, Marriage, and Money. I try to post daily little questions, inspirations, little stories about me, my my life, my spouse, my kids, how we do it. And then also try to gather other people's um, recommendations, thoughts, systems, how they do it, right? And uh, my husband's community, 39.6. Make sure you get on that list. Once you get on that list, also you kind of get um, updates whenever he's doing um, raises for multifamily investing if you're interested in that. So make sure you message me if you have any topics you want me to bring up for discussion, anything you want me to learn. And uh, I, I will officially announce here on the podcast that I did become a coach in somebody else's program, Dr. Kavitha Sun. She has the program, the Love and Legacy Academy. There's a couple different tiers in that program. One is the Heal Your Relationship, which I'm a coach in currently for Heal Your Relationship for January and February. And it's all about healing your relationship with whoever you want to be healing it with, your spouse, your best friend, your mother, your son. We've got everybody. We've got everybody covered. I'm also still coaching one-on-one. So I still do take a few private one-on-one clients for somebody who just wants to work with me every week which will be life-changing. If you're still thinking about it, please reach out to me. If you have questions, if you want to just do a, a, a quick consult call with me, because I swear to you, it will change your life. You will stop arguing as much. You will start loving more. You will start finding time to do all the things that you deem most important. You can be more intentional and you will have a guide to walk you through that journey. So if you are still listening, I love you guys. And I'm going to send you away with a few questions to ask yourself. How often do I find myself comparing myself to others? How much money is in my bank account, my investments, and is it enough? How much time do I waste when I think I'm multitasking? And how can I become more intentional today about the time I spend doing what I love 
the people I choose to spend my time with, and the dollar amount I choose to spend on the things I want to do. So much love to you and your spouse. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional, medical, or financial advice. The opinions provided on this podcast are those of myself or the invited guest alone. They do not represent the opinions of any particular institution. Always seek the advice of your physician or financial advisor with any questions you may have of a medical condition or financial plan. This is for your entertainment only.